Well, good morning, guys. How's everybody doing? Can you all hear? <laughs> um, just so you guys know, the deacons, the guys that are, you know, serving in the parking lot are available if you have issues with your radio or you need help or we're also going to be live streaming, although I haven't started it just yet. We're going to be live streaming the service. So um, one way or another, we hope that because you're here, you can listen. If all else fails, we have these speakers on and you might be able to hear it that way. Uh, and we could turn them up if that becomes an issue. Um, but hey, join me in prayer. And uh, yeah, we'll get started. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for your love for your church, Lord. You died. You gave your life that we might know you and enjoy you and be one with you forever. And Lord, it's been a hard read as we've gone through Revelation um, up to this point, Lord. We've seen you setting things straight upon the earth and really redeeming what is so broken and beyond broken, but rebellious against you, Father. And now we come to, you know, really, we've, we're coming to the public display, you know, the, the public showing, the, the, the revealing of your bride. As we come into Revelation 19, Lord, we get to see just what you would describe, Lord, Lord, this earthly analogy, what, what the body of Christ, what the church, what people mean to you. You call them your bride, and you died to serve your bride. You've poured out your love, Lord, upon us. You've lavished, Lord, your love upon your church, Lord. And uh, Lord, I just pray that we would, we would begin to understand the depths of your love for for man and just what it is that you did for us on the cross, Lord, and what you continue to do now as our bridegroom. Lord, we, we pray all this in your precious name. Amen. Uh, no, that's fine. Thanks. Guys, a few uh, quick announcements. Many of you saw this on Facebook, but if you do need to use uh, the restrooms, they're open. Uh, just go to the front of the church um, and somebody will be there to let you in. And uh, kind of, we're trying to do good hygiene person to person. But really, we trust you guys with your own and your kids' hygiene, and you can use the bathroom if you want to. Um, uh, and uh, you know, we're glad you're here. This is not our favorite way to gather, of course, but it could be so much worse. You know, it could we could be prevented from even doing this you know, or persecuted to the extent that many other nations have seen persecution. So let's rejoice in our ability to get together. Let's, as First Thessalonians and not Corinthians says, uh, David, uh, let's rejoice always in what God has done for us and what can never be taken away from us. Let's not stop praying because God is truly in control. You know, whether a politician or whether a president or whether any authority on earth feels and believes they are actually in control, God is the one who is almighty and omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful and he is truly the one. When we pray, we are going beyond complaining to talking to the creator, our savior, the one who loves us and can do something about it. And third, you know what? First Thessalonians chapter 5 reminds us, I think in verse 18, we are to give thanks in every circumstance, for this is the will of God. Now, we may be prevented from doing things that we want to, and, uh, you know, pray for wisdom and guidance from the Lord to us as a church because we want to do what's right, but our master is not here in this world. We are trying to please God himself, and that is our greatest authority. But pray for wisdom as we want to be, you know, wise as serpents, like the scriptures say, but harmless as doves. You know, we want, we want to walk that line, and we want to bless his church, which he's called us to serve. But 1 Thessalonians reminds each one of us that there is always 
it is always the time to look up and remember just what God has done, no matter what is happening around us. And look, I'm not even recording yet on Facebook. This is just for those that are gathered here. But look, God wants to use you and fill you with peace and joy and righteousness, a kingdom within, Romans 14 says, so that when you go to your workplace or you go to Walmart or you're with your family or you're around your neighbors, believers or not, they see a person that is filled with God's spirit, his joy, and is at peace no matter what is going on in this world. That's who God has called us to be. And that's something that cannot be ripped away from a believer. You know, I I say this, I I am an American citizen. I have rights given to me by the Constitution. But in another aspect, and I'm trying to walk this balance, guys, too. But when I became a follower of Jesus Christ, I surrendered my life, even my rights, to the one that I call Master. And I'm going to live that way. You know, there was a time like Paul used his rights as a Roman citizen to accomplish what God believed, uh, what God had ordered him to do or commanded him to do, which was to appeal to Caesar and bring that case to the really the highest office in the land. And Paul did that. But there's a time to just step back and quietly go about our service to the Lord and be filled with the peace and joy that he alone can bring. So, That's my encouragement for you that have gathered here. Thank you for coming. Um, Don't forget that when the scriptures say for us to assemble together, the purpose is not just so we can have this feast all to ourselves, but the good fruit that God produces in our life is to what? is to feed and satisfy and nourish those around us. So please, I mean, just as we would say on a Sunday morning, you know, it's different. You got to drive up car to car. That's you know, weird. Not where it's like, it's like as much as drive in church, it's like drive through church. You're driving, but find someone to pray for, to encourage, or just even to say hi to. Ask them how they're doing. That's why we're here. We're here to serve one another and to be a body. So guys, uh, I'm going to start the live stream and pray just one one short time, and we're going to get going on uh, chapter 19 in Revelation, continuing where we left off. Um, let's do it. So guys, let's let's pray before we get into our study today. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray now that you would speak to each one of us that's here, each one of us that's tuning in is going to listen, and that we would not hear the opinion, you know, of of man, but the truth and the love behind the truth of your word. Lord, you died to set us free. And we know that you're delivering us the truth now because the truth, what what is actually true, not just what each of us, you know, thinks or what the, you know, opinions abound in this world, but your truth, which is in your word, will set us free if we abide there. If we make that choice, we will be your disciples, disciplined students of your word, and you will change our hearts. That's what we want today, Lord. We don't want information. We want transformation. Please accomplish that in us. We pray this in your precious name. Guys, open your Bibles to Revelation 19. Uh, We've come this far, and it has been an amazing journey um, so far. This uh, is the beginning of kind of a new section in Revelation 19, 20, 21, 22. I love this part because we have seen just God's, his, his, Judgment, and and that's the right word to use, his judgment of a sinful, rebellious world that has rejected the free gift of a Savior, thumbed their nose at God, and embraced everything that would try to replace him. They've been involved in multiple systems, which Revelation calls the harlot or or Babylon, the mystery of Babylon, this this 
you know, religious system that has tried to replace Christ, and then following that, or in the midst of that, an economic system or kingdom which calls for people to give their allegiance to it rather than their creator. You know, as Luke 16, for those that joined us in our midweek, reminds us, all of the earthly possessions, treasures, money, houses, vehicles, you know, whatever we have here, it will fail us as we go into eternity. It will not secure for us a, the place of promise. There's only one that can deliver the safety and security and peace that we long for. You know, our stuff, I'm not going to go down the Luke 16 rabbit trail, but our stuff is never going to love us back. Our stuff is never going to save us. Our government, our society, our culture, all of these things, we've seen it in Revelation so far, all of these have failed to protect and produce the fruit of righteousness within the hearts of people. And it's just a system where man is using one another to get what they want, and it's full of greed and strife and division and problems and hypocrisy. Doesn't that sound just like the world that we live in today? That's, that's what we're experiencing on a daily uh, basis down here. But many of us have put our faith in a kingdom that's coming that cannot be shaken. Though heaven and earth will be shaken, once more, Hebrews says, we are longing for, looking for something that is solid and will never depart from us. Revelation 19 is like, you know, this, like the sun is now, and sun, S-U-N, is like streaming through an open window. There's hope again for um, mankind, you know, and it starts this way. After these things, I, John, the disciple, he says, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. After these things, after the fall of the economies of the earth and the religious systems of the earth and the government of the Antichrist is disintegrating, he says, after I heard these things, I heard, or after these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude. There's always a remnant. I just want to remind you, as much myself, there's always a remnant of believers. You know, remember when Elijah, he thought he was the only one. He ran from Jezebel and he was sitting by the brook there telling God, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one that loves you. This is all going downhill. And God said, no, no, no. I have reserved six thousand men who will not bow the knee to Baal, this false god, or to Jezebel and her, her, her kingdom. There is always a remnant of believers. And in heaven, and in this, as things are coming to their climax, John hears the loud voice of a great multitude. You know, we sometimes feel marginalized. We sometimes feel so isolated from each other. Like, like, uh, we're all alone in our faith. And this is great because, you know, we gather to encourage one another. But there are times throughout our week where it's just us. Just remember that there's a day coming where there will be a vast multitude of people that look at and love God just like we do. And we will all be saying with a loud voice, Alleluia. First time in the New Testament. It's going to be four times in this chapter. It means praise to God. Praise the Lord. It happens to be that our son's name is Judah. Judah is kind of, it means the same thing. Praise to Yah. It's a shortened version of Alleluia in the Old Testament. Alleluia, you know, just this incredible praise God. Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. And how that really should read, there's an article in the Greek before each one of those words. It's the salvation, the only way to be saved, the glory. All of the glory is God's. All of the honor is God's. And all of the power belongs 
to the Lord our God. You guys get it? We're going to come to a day where this is going to fade and the things that are eternal are going to blow our minds. You know, we are going to be reunited with people that we've lost and love, that we're longing to be with again. And death, sorrow, pain, tears, sin, our own flesh, temptation, all of those things will be behind us. We will be in God's presence in a perfect place forever. The Garden of Eden restored, but no possibility to depart. No way that we're going to mess it up again. We're going to have Him. We're going to have Him. You know, for some of us that have chronic illness or love people that do, that is going to be changed forever. No more aching, broken bodies and a broken, groaning creation. It's all going to be replaced. There's a moment, guys, where we will be together as the church. And I'm going to get into this a little bit more and describe it to you. But this really, at the end of seven years, the church, which has been in heaven for seven years, is finishing, in a sense, their honeymoon with the bridegroom, which is Jesus Christ. The church is called the bride of Christ in Scripture. And at the end of these seven years, Jesus, just like in a Galilean wedding, which all these Jews would be familiar with, especially the disciples, just like in a Galilean wedding, there was seven days of feasting and festivities, uh, festivities, sorry, not festivities, because anyway, festivities and and celebration with the invited guests and on the seventh day there would be the public revealing of the bride to the world or to the outside world so the seven-day feast that's where the church has been during this judgment that's being poured out is we've been with Jesus and what we're coming to now is where he reveals the church the real bride the real object of God's love to a world that has rejected him and said, we don't want your love, we don't want your authority, we don't want your control, we don't want your rules, they think, and all the bondage of being religious. This is not religion. This is the relationship between a husband and his bride. It's that kind of white hot love, guys. And this is the church saying, we've come to the day where you're going to bring us forward and reveal us to everyone, the real bride. Now that kind of sets us up for verse 2, where for true and righteous are his judgment. The bride is saying, man, that God has been right and true in all that he has done so far, which you know, is is a hard statement. We have to wrestle with just how wicked man is to deserve what God has done. But I know that of myself. I've answered that question for myself. I know who I am without the Lord. And I hope you know who you are without the Lord. The only thing I added or that I brought to God's salvation, the only thing that I contributed to God's salvation was my incredible sinfulness. That's the only contribution I made. My life revealed I needed a savior from sin. And that was my starting point. I'm looking, I, there's so much glare on the windshield, no matter where I sit. But I believe that many of you are here and would acknowledge the same thing. True and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication and has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Boy, my lisp was coming out there. I bet you heard it. You know, guys, there's this kind of story that's developing or this analogy that's developing in Revelation. I hope that you've seen it. There's two cities. Jerusalem or or Mount Zion or Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. There's that city and then there's the world's counterfeit, Babylon. There are two women, right? There's the harlot and there's the bride of Christ. There's two saviors, the true savior, Jesus Christ, and the counterfeit, the instead of Christ, the antichrist. There's two kingdoms, the Lord's kingdom and this earth's kingdom. 
right? And when this talks about this harlot, the great harlot, look, just understand this. All the way back in Proverbs 7, um, Solomon describes this woman. And of course, we could say this is all about adultery. This is all about, you know, um, sexual sin, all of these things. But listen to how he describes this woman, this, this harlot. He says there was you know, a woman that came out to meet a young man who was devoid of understanding, and she had the attire of a harlot, she had a crafty heart, she was loud, rebellious, her feet wouldn't stay at home, she was outside at times in the open square. She grabbed a hold of this young man and kissed him, and he, she said, I have, I'm kind of paraphrasing, just so you know, I have peace offerings, you know, I've done my religious, uh, you know, due diligence today, I've paid my vows, and I've come out, I've diligently sought you, I've found you, I can't believe it, I've spread my bed with tapestry, I've, you know, put Egyptian linen and cinnamon and myrrh and aloe all over, come, let us take our fill of love into the morning, for my husband's not at home. You know, and, and maybe you're thinking, where are you going with this, Sam? Well, the world is just like that. It says, come join me. I'll love you. It's going to be great. It's religious. It's, it's physically good. It's great. You know, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. But we know that this woman, all the way back in Sol- uh, that Solomon was writing about, was not after the good of this man. She was after him to use him to get you know, in, in a, you know, to get money from him. She was using him. She didn't care about him at all. And so, you know, as, as we're looking at the judgment that's upon the harlot, just understand that's what this world wants from you. It wants to use you and spit you out. It wants to use you, get all that it can from you. And then when you have need, when you're desperate, when you're unsatisfied, when you're longing, it doesn't do anything for you. But contrast that with what God has planned for his bride. Jesus Christ died to give life to the church. He laid down his life so that we would know that he loves us. He he gives everything of himself for her preservation, for her protection, for her sustenance. And it's not because, you know, look, we know the story of Hosea and Gomer. We know the story, one of my favorites I was thinking about, you know, was Mark 5, this woman with an issue of blood. Sorry if this is like, I'm not going to go gross or anything. But this woman with an issue of blood, 12 years, came up to Jesus and she was so afraid of him rejecting her that she snuck up behind him, grabbed him because she believed that if she touched him, she would be healed. But she was so afraid of rejection, she snuck up on Jesus, grabbed him. He was on his way to heal Jairus's daughter. Remember a throng of people all around him? It was a big deal to go to this rich man's house and bring his daughter back from sickness or eventually from death. But, you know, Jesus stopped in his tracks because this woman touched him and stopped and let everybody know. You remember the story. He called her daughter. Your faith has made you well, go into peace and be healed from your affliction. God is not out there to use people, and he is all about ending a system, the world system, the harlot, both religious, economic, whatever way, he's going to put an end to this system that uses people only to throw them out. God treats us as a bride. But like Hosea and Gomer, it's not because we've lived so perfectly and beautifully and wonderfully that he's like, okay, now you deserve me. Come and I'll treat you good. No, he demonstrated his love for us way before we ever thought of him at all. And that's why I love him, guys. For true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot. He's putting an end to that corruption. She's not offering any of us, anything that is good or lasting or is even love. You know, uh, Proverbs, I'll just say this really quick, in verse 9, 10, if you don't believe me, you know, it talks of two women again um, that are calling out to, listen, whoever is simple and 
in, ver in chapter 9 of Proverbs, it says wisdom has built her, again, this woman personified, or wisdom personified as a woman, you know, really the bride is calling out to people, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, come, eat of my bread and, and drink of the wine I've mixed. Forsake foolishness and live. Go in the way of understanding. Look, I responded to that call. You know, I responded to one that said, hey, you're a fool. You're, you're simple. Come in here and I'll feed you and satisfy you forever. You can be part of the bride. But understand later in that chapter, there's a foolish woman, you know, just like the harlot, just like Babylon, just like this world system, a foolish woman who's clamorous. She knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house and on the seat of the highest place in the city. She looks so sophisticated and intelligent. And she calls out the same thing. She says, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. If you lack understanding, come to me, for stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But the man who listens to her doesn't know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of hell. So all through the Bible, there's been these two systems presented, and often in the case of, of women, a wise woman, the bride that we could be part of, or the harlot. I beat that to death, so we're going to keep going. Guys, this this harlot or this system has hated the true, genuine, undeserved love given to the bride. And so she, throughout history, this world has always persecuted the church. You want to talk about persecution, 20th century has seen more Christians killed than all of the other centuries in world history combined. You know, that's something to try to wrap your mind around. We, 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 we know nothing of that here. But the rest of the believe, rest many many other believers in this world have experienced that and have stood in the victory of Jesus Christ. They've stood and withstood that. So verse three again, this multitude said, "Alleluia!" Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders, remember these that represent you know Christians from every age, 24 believers in heaven. It's crazy to think about. And the four living creatures, these four cherubim, fell down and worshipped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, which means so be it, and Alleluia. There's one on the throne, guys. There's only one on the throne. And our responsibility is to live for and please him. And, you know, what I love about this chapter, I think the most, and we'll get there, is not that it said, it does, it, in a few verses, it's going to call us his servants. And I am a servant of God. You know, I'm a bond slave. He bought me and he bought me for a price and I'm his. But it also presents the reality that we are his bride to him. And that is an incredible thing because I think a lot of times we walk around, many of us that love the Lord, we, we, we can embrace the serving, you know, mentality. Oh, I'm going to serve him. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to serve him. But we forget that we're his bride and he died to really to serve us, set us free, that we might enjoy him, that we might be blessed by him, that we might learn from him, just like the, the, the best husband that we know treats his bride, his wife. It's a picture of God's love for us. We forget that he loves us, that he likes us, that he wants to spend time with us. I do anyway. Then a voice came from the throne. And I don't think this is God or Jesus. I think it's just one of the angel or the hosts around his throne. Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him both small and great. You know, this angel cries out from around the throne. They said, just praise him. It doesn't matter if you're little or if you're big. You know what? There are, most times, I don't really feel like I'm doing a lot for the Lord, you know? But there's coming a day when it does, it's not like there's this big, you know, chart and Ricky's got 50 stars and I got 25. You know, God has... God has given me, you know, gifts and abilities just like he's given you gifts and abilities. And he wants to, us to serve with the best of our abilities. He knows how we're limited, doesn't he? He made us. He created us. There's things that I can't do. He knows my limitations, but he's just asking for my life. He's asking for my love. 
you know? And he wants me to be all in to the best of my ability. If in the grand scheme of things, I'm just small, it's okay. I'm still going to praise him. If you're great, God bless you. That's awesome. But, you know, he doesn't He doesn't say, oh, you, you great people, you praise me and the rest of you, you're insignificant. Get out of here. The small and great, they all praise him alike. Man, he sees everything we do for him. He sees every act of love, every tender thought, every kind action that we do. And there's reward for that. There's blessing for that. So this voice comes, this angel calls us to praise, to continue praying. And I heard, verse 6, as it were, the, uh, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty thunderings. Look, this is probably hundreds of millions of believers. And notice, none of us is striving for the attention. You know, I'll be doing something else because there'll be one person that's the focal point of everything, right? Nobody's jockeying for the glory that's supposed to go for Jesus Christ there. And we're all unified in saying the same thing. Our attention is fixed on one being as and in our voice all together as the sound of mighty thunderings we're saying alleluia that's the fourth time praise god for the lord god omnipotent reigns i just want you to consider if this account is true when we get to heaven we're not going to be talking about janet mills we're not going to be talking about the coronavirus we're not going to be talking about our mortgage. We're not going to be talking about our vacation. You know, we're not going to be talking about, we're going to be focused on one being and what he has accomplished for us. All the glory, honor, power, and salvation, the work that he has done, we're going to be in utter amazement of that. If that's our attitude there, I think that we should pay strong attention to what Paul said when he said, set your mind on things above. Look at that. Look at what we will be doing for eternity and live in light of what is coming, not always what is here. We'll be looking and we'll be saying, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. All the things that we didn't understand, all the, all the sickness that we didn't get, all the times we said, why do bad things happen to good people? Why is this world so broken and twisted and messed up? All of that has a conclusion and an end that is wonderful when we are part of the bride. There'll be a day of understanding a day of reunions, a day of everlasting freedom, a day of everlasting healing. I cannot wait. We will be saying, Lord, you are all powerful and you are reigning. And we'll see him face to face, guys. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her, to the church, to the bride, it was granted to be arrayed or dressed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. This is what it's all about. This angel speaking to John said, this is what is most important. Now let's let's back up and talk about this concept of the bride. And really, um, I wish there was a way to know what time it was, but I failed in having a watch today. 1035. 1035. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Um, I want to talk about the bride. I want to talk about this analogy because I was walking around here. I was pacing. I pace when I pray. Uh, walking around here earlier. I don't know if you've ever tried that, but you don't have to. You don't have to pray like this. You know, you can actually like walk around. That's my, that's really the only way I can pray. Because if I do this, I was just telling Tracy and Perry, I fall asleep. My mind wanders. I just. It's just how it is for me. Anyway praying this morning and thinking about the bride and I, I was thinking man i've been saved for 12 years and like that concept of servant yeah i like learned that right away like i'm i'm you know i'm a servant of god 
Um, the concept of son, another analogy that the Lord gives us, you know, son or daughter. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm like a little kid, you know, and God is my, my dad. Like, he's my father. Like, I'm, I can hold on his hand. He'll teach me and, like, guide me and instruct me. That's very valid. And that is one of the ways that Jesus taught his disciples to understand God, that he's our father in heaven. And that is very right and good. And we should never like, we're not replacing the understanding of being a servant. We're not replacing the understanding of being a son or daughter. But understand that Jesus and God, they present something that goes so much further beyond just those kinds of relationships. And that is given to us, you know, most clear. Well, it's really given to us all through the New Testament, even the Old, that God's love is so for believers, he says, it's like I'm her husband. Even in the Old Testament, there was that, you know, that, uh, that analogy was used of the nation of Israel, but it's broadened in the New Testament, especially in Ephesians, you know, husbands, we are to love our wives like what? Jesus loved the church. And he gave himself for her. You know, a husband is not concerned with his own needs, but nourishes and cherishes the church, you know, his bride. He, he laid down everything so that we could have life and life abundantly. He wants us to be filled with joy and peace. He wants to do things in us. You know, he is the ultimate husband. And like we, we enjoy this earthly relationship. Many of us, you know, me and Jess just passed 10 years. Uh, it wasn't yesterday, it was the day before. That was our 10-year anniversary. And I caught myself, I was talking to my, my son Judah, and I said, you know, I called our wedding. At first I was going to say it was the best day of my life. But you know what I said? It was the second best day. And here's why. And you may, you may, you know me, you may be able to guess. The best day of my life was the day that I became the bride of Jesus Christ. And I know that's not like a manly thing to say, or it seems weird, especially in all our culture, but there was a day when I went from being on the outside, estranged from a relationship with the God that made me, loved me, died for me, and I became his bride and he started pouring into my life. He started giving me what I needed. That is the best day of my life. Second best is the day that me and Jess got married. And God, through my marriage, has been helping me and wants to help us understand that is the kind of love that God has for the church, his people. Not because we're awesome, not because we're perfect, not because we're incredible, but because he is. That's who he is. So this, this, this idea of a wedding in scripture. So what are we now? Are we the bride now? What we exist in, what we're living in now, according to Jesus, is a time where we are betrothed to the bridegroom. Like there's a contractual agreement for the bride. He's given a dowry to us. That's the Holy Spirit presented in Scripture as a down payment. It's given to us so that we might know we're his. But our wedding is still future. And let me just share a couple of things with you through Scripture. This is kind of stepping back in a broad way, but I think this is a wonderful analogy and it's a wonderful reminder of his love um, and what he's going to accomplish. So in Galilee, where all the disciples were from, this is how they would do a wedding. You know, the father uh, of a son would come and he would meet with the father of a potential bride and his son would come and the bride would be there and there was a little bit of a festivity and the father would provide a dowry to 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 show that bride that there was a commitment from their family and from his son to marry her for her to become that young man's bride and so they'd present that gift and also in that ceremony I love this the son would basically propose to this woman, potentially his bride, by drinking of a cup of wine and passing that cup to this woman. It gave her, and this was very unique in that culture, it gave the woman the absolute right to choose to accept or reject that offer of marriage coming from the son. 
And just like that, just like with Jesus, everyone has that choice to look at the character of the bridegroom, to look at the character of the, of the man that's offering, and to accept or reject that cup. If the woman would drink, then the man would say, I, I will drink, you know, I won't drink from the fruit of the vine or from this cup until I come back and we drink it together. Just like Jesus said to his disciples on the night before he was crucified. So if the woman accepted his 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 offer, his proposal, then there would be a time where the son would go back to his father's house, right? And prepare a room or dwelling place attached to the father's house. The bride would prepare herself for a wedding still to come, but she would not know the day or the hour. Even the son and you guys can hear in these statements just all the things that we know are true of Scripture, like the Lord's return. The, Jesus said, you know, no one knows the day or the hour, not even the Son, but only the Father. And so the father of the bridegroom would be waiting to see his son make preparations to build this um, this this addition to the house in preparation for the bride coming to him. And it was the father's discretion to say, it is time, go and get your bride. Now, Jesus spoke of this. Remember when he told the disciples that he was leaving in John 14? He said, let your, um, let your heart, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is telling them what they knew, you know, from the greatest day in everybody's life in that culture, their wedding day. He was using that as basically a pattern for his love and his affection and his promise. Look, I'm going to the Father, but I'm going to come back and you're going to come with me. And now what's amazing in that culture is that after a year or so of preparation, in the middle of the night, the bride was to be waiting with her bridesmaids, all ready to go at any time. They knew the day or hour was near, but like a thief coming in the night, the father would instruct his son, go get your bride. And the son would come out at midnight blowing a shofar or a trumpet, and he would go, and they would go to the bride's house, and she would hear this trumpet call and know that he was near. And she would actually be lifted up onto a seat and carried back to the father's house. I mean, it's such an incredible picture of the rapture of the church, the, the, the wedding of the bride. And as they would go back, they would go into the father's house and the doors would be shut, no one to be let in or let out. For seven days there would be feasts, there would be, you know, there would be intimacy between the husband, you know, and his wife. There would be all kinds of festivities. And at the end of seven days, the husband would publicly reveal to the world at large, this is my bride. Do you understand that this is the very same thing that's happening here? Jesus made a promise. We are in this period of betrothal, but we can trust that our husband, the bridegroom, is preparing a place for us at his father's house, and it is wonderful. He's told us, like in Matthew 25, that we're the bride and that we are supposed to be waiting with oil in our lamps. Remember the, the story of the ten bridesmaids? Five had oil in their lamps, five you know, didn't, and they all fell asleep. And in the middle, middle of the night, the bridegroom came right? And only five were ready. That is how we're supposed to be living. We're supposed to be looking forward to the Lord's return like it's our wedding day. And that's maybe a little weird for maybe some of us haven't married, some of us don't have never experienced that. But for us that have, we know the joy and the longing and the anticipation we all had for that day. That's the kind of love that Jesus has for his church. That's the kind of love that Jesus has for somebody like me. That's why John could say, John, in 1 John, what kind of love is this that, that he would love somebody like me and treat me like a bride? That's his choice. And the Father is going to tell Jesus at the time of his choosing, 
Go and get your bride and we will be carried away. What a wonderful picture, guys. And here, as we come to Revelation 19, we see we've the church have been with the bridegroom for seven years enjoying him. It's been us and him while the world, you know, not as thrown out, but even we've seen the grace of God, the the calling, the 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 softness, if you will, of God in giving people still a chance to come to him, to be invited to the wedding, to participate in that way. There is all, the bride of Christ is the church. You know, and those that aren't part of the bride will just be, you know, wedding guests. And that's something to be a part of, you know, and we could go down that like John the Baptist was called the friend of the bridegroom. He wasn't actually the bride. We're the bride and Jesus is coming for the bride. And this is describing this time where he's going to reveal her to the world. You know, understand just like there's two cities, Babylon and Zion, just like there's two women, the harlot who shows no love and is just using and you know the bride who is the object of God's affection not because she deserves it but because of God's grace and his favor just understand that there is also as we read ahead in Revelation 19 two suppers there's the wedding feast that ending feast at the wedding where the bride is uh, publicly revealed and then as we go, and we're not going to go there today. I'm glad I took off a, you know, a bite-sized piece today, but we couldn't get all of Revelation 19. I would invite you to read ahead and read to the end of chapter 19 because a second supper is mission mentioned. You can be, it's our choice to accept or reject the proposal of the bridegroom. And there is a wedding supper, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and there is a different kind of supper where you can read it for yourself, but where the birds of the air feast upon the flesh of mankind in one desperate last attempt to rebel against the authority of God, rebel against the goodness of the bridegroom, and to try to hurt his bride one more one more time i love this analogy and I, I was joking with the guys and here's where i'm just i'm done you know we have christ riding about to ride forward on his white horse you know he's all you know he's called faithful and true and righteousness he judges and he makes war he's all tatted up you know if you don't believe me just read ahead he's got you know um, a name written that no one knows, uh, you know, except himself. He's closed with with a robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. I, I just, and excuse me, like I'm not trying to be blasphemous, even really that funny, but this is like the manliest man you ever know, all tatted up, riding forward on his motorcycle with his bride on the back, going out to judge anyone that would try to hurt his bride. That's his kind of love. Like these two systems can't keep existing because the one system, that of the harlot, that of the Antichrist, has always tried to destroy his bride and that's never happening again. Like that's the kind of love he has for me and for you. And we can join him in just responding to that affection, accepting at first that love and then growing all our lives long in the grace. Why did he ever choose me? You know, that woman in Mark 5, she was so she was so afraid because of her uncleanliness, because of her, you know, everybody else had deserted her. Nobody else in the world, even physicians, had not been able to help her. Twelve long years, she'd lost everything. And when she came to Jesus, she was afraid that he would reject her. That's not who he is. And the call that he has, more than anything else, guys, uh, and I just I'm end here. What I believe that God wants me to focus in on, hone in on, in the midst of the craziness that's in the world right now, is his love for this world. He's not given up on it, and he 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 adores mankind. He loves people. And he knows what he created them to be, a bride, his forever. You know, his sons and daughters, if you will. Yeah, that's true just as much. But he watches man, men and women and kids get ripped off by the fake, 
phony, disingenuine, everything that this world offers. He's watching them get ripped off, and he is just desperate to show the world around us how much he loves them. And he wants us to participate in showing this world that it is loved by God. Please, please pray about that. Pray about what your part is. He said that this world would know that we're his disciples by our love, one for another. I want to be that guy. I may be small in the day when we're all together, 100 million of us praising God. I may be one of the small. You may be one of the great. I don't really care. I want to please him. You know, he is my bridegroom. He's the one that came for me, paid for me, and is coming back for me. I want to please him. I hope you do too, guys. Um, Look, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for the time that we've had to just sit here and really feast upon your word. It is a feast, Lord, because it's all true. True and faithful are you, Lord. You're coming back, and you're going to come back with us, Lord, to present us to a world has rejected you and say, look who I've accepted. I've taken anybody, and I love that about you. Father, I, I can't wait for that day. And yet you can, Lord, because you are appealing to men and women everywhere to become and be part of your bride, the object of your love and your eternal affection. Lord, please instruct us, Lord. As we get emotional, as we get frustrated, as we get anxious, Lord, in these times, center us on your word and what it says, and may we live accordingly. Lord, bless each person that's here and each person that's listening and going to listen, Lord, and fill them with your spirit so that they can live for you and we can live in a way like we are being the chaste bride of Christ waiting for our wedding day. And thank you for holding off the rain. Pray this in your precious name. Amen. Hey, grace and peace, guys. Like I said, encourage one another. Pray for one another. If you need prayer, ask one of these uh, guys in vests to come pray for you. They'd love to. If you need prayer for healing, if you need prayer for wisdom, um, you just need encouragement, ask one of them to come. I'll be around. Um, We're kind of telling people, you know, yes, we would encourage you to remain in your cars. Um, I probably shouldn't even remain in your cars while I shut the live stream off but just just so you know and this is coming from us you are all adults and we trust you to make decisions that are best for you and your family and uh during the service time remain in your cars this is no longer the service time so grace and peace we love you and uh have a good week